to First uh, John three, and uh, going to read just the first three verses. First John three, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Well, for a short time, I want to consider shorter. I want to consider three things from the verses that we read there earlier. And quite simply, they are from verse 1, we see our position. We are children of God. From verse 2, we see our prospect. We will see and we will be like Jesus. And from verse 3, we see our purity, where we will see, brothers and sisters, that our hope should actually be a spur to our holiness. But before we do that, just as I said in the introduction, did you notice how in both verse 5 and verse 9, we, we have the reason for the season in relation to Christmas, namely that Jesus came. He appeared in order to, one, take away our sins, and two, to destroy the devil's work. There's Christmas in a nutshell. He came to take away our sins and to destroy the work of the devil. And there's a whole sermon just in unpacking what that means but let's just rejoice in that great truth this evening that if we know our sins are forgiven so let's look at the three things firstly our position John takes great delight in reminding us that we are indeed children of God that is what we are now it is not something that one day we will become but it's what we are now and, and we looked a little bit at all or something of what that meant last week. But what I want to do this evening is concentrate on the how we get to this privileged position. And John tells us. And in the opening verse, he reminds us of the love the Father has lavished on us. The NIV sadly omits at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, and remember the kind of chapters and verses, divisions are a relatively new thing, but the NIV omits the word behold. If you've got the, the, the authorised version, the, the, I think that has behold, what manner of love, you can almost burst into song there, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. And, and the use of that word behold, or in some of the other translations, they, it begins with the word see. The reason that that is there is for emphasis. John is using that word as a word of exclamation, as a means of, if you like, expressing his wonder that God, the God of all creation, the heavenly Father, would lavish 
such love upon us. He, what he is really in, in saying in effect is this. This is a love that is so alien, that is so foreign, that actually you need to take time to consider it, to contemplate it, to allow it to take your breath away. Behold, see. This is something, this is a love that is totally different. And so it is with the love that the Father has lavished upon us. And brothers and sisters, we need to behold it. We need to see it. And above all, we need to embrace it. And John starts with that amazing love. A love that brought Christ down from the heights and from the splendor of heaven to live and to die and to rise again. A love that has been lavished on us. Not being the brightest light bulb in the box, I looked up the word lavish in the dictionary. I actually looked up two dictionaries for the definition. First one says this. Very generous in giving or spending. Very abundant. To give or spend liberally. Then I looked up another dictionary. And I got this. I like this one. Unrestrained, excessive, superabundant. Don't you love that word? I do. Super abundant. It's no wonder that John says, Behold. Look. See this love. A love that is beyond all loves. A love that is unrestrained. A love that is superabundant. A love that is excessive. A love that has been stowed upon us. On who? On those who have trusted in Christ. And because of that superabundance of the Father's love that is seen in His Son, here is the position of those who have responded to it. You are children of God. Wow. What a position. What a status. To be children of God. And it is all of God. Because it is his love that he has lavished on us. He saw us long before we had any time for him. And it is given to us freely. Freely to us. But as we've seen tonight, costly to the Saviour. When was the last time you really beheld that love? That love which has transformed you. That love that has given you a royal position as children of the Most High. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And to know, 
to know that you are a recipient of that super abundant love of God, to know that you are his child, not because of what you have done, not because of what you are doing or what you will do, but for no other reason than God loves you. In a time of uncertainty, is that not a great reassurance? Here is love, fast as the ocean. We have been loved with an everlasting love. A love that gives us the position and the status as children of God. We saw it, didn't we, last week from Galatians 4 and 5. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You are no longer a slave. You're a child, you're a son, you're a daughter. What a position. Children. Sons and daughters of the Most High. Because God, in eternity past, decided to lavish his love upon us. Position. Secondly, we read concerning our prospect. We will see and we will be like Jesus. And John again in verse 2 reiterates our position as children of God and he goes on to tell us that we will, that sorry, what we will be has not yet been made known. You, you can almost sense the excitement of John as, as he writes this guided by the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Bible gives us, doesn't it, some ideas of how we have a new body and, and what heaven will be like, but, but it just seems so unimaginable, kind of almost indescribable, well, which is why when John wrote the, the, the letter of Revelation, he used so much picture language. He, he had to say, like this, like that. It was almost indescribable. And, and in many ways, I don't know about you, but in many ways, I'm happy to see. I'm happy to wait and see to what one day will truly be like. And, 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 and that is a glorious prospect. It's a glorious prospect to think that while we were not, or sorry, while we are not what we should be, or one day what we will be, we are so thankful that we are not what we once were. Are you not thankful that you're not what you once were? But as great a prospect as that is, new body, new heaven, new earth, and whatever else God has got in store for us, nothing, absolutely nothing tops what John tells us. Now, look closely, if you have a Bible, look closely at the second part of verse 2. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When Jesus returns, John tells us two things. We shall be like him, and we shall see him as he is. Wow. We shall be like him. What does John mean by that? 
I, I, well, I'm not sure that, that it means, Sam Gordon in his book kind of said, I can agree with Sam Gordon in his book, he says this, that, that heaven, heaven's not going to be populated with millions of clones of Jesus. That, that's not what John is meaning here. Otherwise, we wouldn't recognize one another in heaven, and I actually believe that we will. I think it tends to speak of our moral likeness. When we'll be perfect. The verse 3 brings it out. We'll come to that in a minute. Paul writing in Corinthians 15 tells us that the body that is sown is perishable, but it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it will be raised in spiritual body. And he goes on to say, listen, I tell you a mystery. And actually we do well to remember that word mystery, all right? We don't know all the answers. We don't know all the answers. I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and will be changed. Why? For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Wow, on that day, brothers and sisters, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. On there will be no deficiency, there will be no disease, there will be no decay, there will be no death. What a prospect awaits the child of God. And if that wasn't enough for you, there's something else. And I have to admit, I, I've known, read, as I'm sure you have, one John many, many times. It wasn't until reading this week and studying for tonight that I noticed this. Look closely at what John says. And we shall see him as he is. And as, as I thought on that little phrase, as he is, my mind went back just a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Revelation chapter 1. And the vision that John was given concerning the risen, reigning, ruling, returning Jesus. Do you recall it? And I know you I know you know it well. One like a son of man, flowing robe, golden sash, hair white as wool, eyes as blazing fire, feet like burning bronze, voice like rushing water, and his face was like the sun shining in all his brilliance. You see, previous to that revelation. John would have seen Jesus just prior to and after the crucifixion and resurrection. But notice what John says here. We will see Jesus as he is, not as what he was. We will behold him in all his glory and in all his majesty, and in all his beauty, and in all his splendor, the Lamb upon the throne, the Lord of lords, and the King of kings. Brothers and sisters, that is your prospect. We will see him as he is, and we will be with him forever.
all that heaven has in store for me, whatever it is. Whatever it is. Nothing can and nothing will compare to seeing Jesus as he is. I, I, I hit um, YouTube this week when typed in an old song as I thought in that. And the chorus says this. Oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me. Glory for me. When by his grace I look on his face and see him as he is, that will be glory. Be glory for me. What about you? Is that not a truly thrilling prospect? That one day, you, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you will see him as he is. As Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Our position, children of God, our prospect, we will see him, we'll be like Jesus. One final thought very quickly there. We see read, reading, sorry, from verse 3, concerning our purity, where our hope should inspire our holiness. Notice carefully Paul's argument here, because I believe it to be really important, particularly in the day and age in which we're living. And, and I hadn't again noticed this before. Verse 3, everyone, John says, everyone who has this hope, what hope? What hopes he talk? Well, he's got to be talking about the hope that he's just been speaking about, namely of being like and of seeing Jesus. Everyone, he says, who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. And what I believe Paul, so Paul, <laughs> no, it wasn't. What I believe John is doing here is linking the hope that we have in the return of Jesus and, as, and of us being like him and, as, and of us seeing him he is linking that with our own personal holiness as to how we live here and now. You see, friends, we do not seek to live pure, holy lives in the hope we will see him. We live them because we know that we will see him. Our prospect is what should drive our purity. We are to be like Jesus. That's hard. <laughs> I don't believe that sinless perfection is possible this side of heaven. But it doesn't stop us striving towards it. And I'm utterly convinced that the more and more, as children of God, it matters how we live in a corrupt generation. We are to be Jesus to everyone that we come in contact with. Whether that's in the workplace, whether that's in the school, whether that's in the street, whether that's in the shops, whether that's driving down the A9. You know, I remember these kind of um, WWJD bracelets of a few years back. What would Jesus do? 
kind of hits the nail on the head. In every situation, in every situation you find, and I'm preaching to myself here first long before I preach to you, but in every situation you find, ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in this situation? We have something now to live for and then so much more to look forward to. Are you living a pure and holy life? The story is told of an old Methodist evangelist by the name of a Dr. Morrison. And Dr. Morrison taught the doctrine of holiness. And it was said of Dr. Morrison that he came closer to practicing it than most folk. And one day he was asked by a student if he had reached a point in his life where he cannot sin. And Dr. Morrison wisely replied, No. I have not arrived at such a place, but I can tell you where I am right now. I have come to a place where I sin and cannot enjoy it. Brothers and sisters, when we grasp the magnitude of the love that the Father has lavished on us, and of how we are children of God. And as we've seen by our communion this evening, the cost of it was to the Lord. Then sin is something that we should grieve over. It is something that we should have no truck with. We should get to the place of the good old godly Dr. Morrison who says, I've come to a place where when I do sin, I cannot enjoy it. And that actually, were we to read on, that is much of John's argument in the following verses, especially verse 6. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Brothers and sisters, may we live pure lives. Our position, children of God, our prospect, we will see and we will be like Jesus. Our purity, let us strive after holiness and remember the command of the Lord himself who says, be holy, for I am holy. I'm going to go into a time